on the Dallas Opera Network. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined on America's Talk Radio Show about opera by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week, Verdi Baritone and Gentle Giant Quinn Kelsey goes inside the huddle with Ashley and Oliver to talk about singing traditional Hawaiian music for an operatic Kani Kapila and preparing for Scarpia at Opera Philadelphia. And then one year into the pandemic, we look at some of the most striking innovations in opera, including new media, do-it-yourself music-making, alternative, pandemic-resistant venues, and trucks. Plus, in the two-minute drill, the dude goes to conduct in Paris, and the city of Madrid awards its Medal of Gold to an opera administrator. Crazy, crazy times. Oliver Camacho, you're crazy! (laughs) I am a little punchy today. Going hard out of the gate. (laughs) Call him out, George. Um, Call him out. No, it's fine. Um, I'm in the middle of what we call pledge drive at my other job, and uh, I'm doing the breakfast shift this week. So mm. got to be at work at like 6 a.m., which is awesome. Ooh, fun. Matt Cummings also up at 6 a.m., I'm sure. Um, Sure, we can go with that. <laughs> I'm doing well, George. I've been laughing all day about this story in the New York Times about people challenging uh, Brian Scalabrini from the Boston Celtics to basketball games because they think he isn't good even though he's in the NBA. And I saw a thread on Twitter that said uh, that at LA Fitness, people would challenge like Dikembe Mutembo to one-on-ones. And I'm like, I just can't imagine having (laughs) the confidence of a middle-aged white dad. No offense to you, but like, come on. (laughs) Weston Williams. Well, I'm no middle-aged white dad, but I bet I could take him. He still got five inches on you, Weston. So like, (laughs) damn, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley Hardgrave. Hello, friends. Um, point of order, LA Fitness. My mom calls it La Fitness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For classy exercise. <laughs> um, does anybody else watch those? Is it Dikembe Mutombo that's in the commercials where uh, he's smacking mm-hmm. the ball out of people's? I live for those. I could watch that on loop all day. All day. <sighs> Uh, Ashley Sports Talk real quickly. Uh, Northwestern University here in Chicago has a new QB. Uh, this guy, Ryan Holinsky, he's transferring in from South Carolina, um, and he is possibly going to be the starting quarterback for the Wildcats next year. But the thing I really like the most about him is that he is a staunch advocate for mental health and behavioral health for college athletes. So uh, more, please. Let's do that some more. Absolutely. Over in my household, we finally got all the Cubs gear out. I got the Cubs shirt on. Here, yes. <laughs> Year of the Cubs. I, I just, I'd kind of forgotten that baseball had started. I don't really wake up on baseball till after the, uh, the All-Star break. All right, let's talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. So this week we were very fortunate to talk to the, one of the only Verdi baritones who is really enjoying a career singing this repertoire, uh, Quinn Kelsey who uh, did his apprenticeship at Lyric Opera Chicago. He recently reunited with some of his Ryan Opera Center um, fellows in a um, semi-staged sort of lecture recital version of Verdi's Attila, led by Enrique Mazzola. 
he just did this thing called uh, Opera Kanikapila, sort of a jam session of opera and uh, Hawaiian traditional music. And he's about to sing Scarpia for the drama of Tosca, the 90-minute version of Tosca for Opera Philadelphia, which you will be able to stream. Uh, and there's also going to be an audience for that performance. Uh, but Ashley was actually the one who coordinated this interview. And we'll go right to the interview where uh, Quinn talks a little bit about his mother. And Ashley, you know more about Quinn's family than I do. Would you tell our audience before we hear him sing De Viene a la Finestra with a ukulele, <laughs> uh, the importance of uh, his family and his mother's um, career as a musician? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the uh, the Kelseys are known in and around the, the Honolulu area for uh, for all of their musicianship. Uh, Quinn's mother, Debbie, was a was a very accomplished uh, musician, uh, a teacher, a conductor, a singer. Uh, and she really uh, is, I, I would say, part of the reason that he's, you know, such a strong musician uh, and such a like, you know, hometown guy done proud. So it's it's really nice to see uh, this this sort of cultural melding that's happening, especially on the heels of of his mother's musical legacy. Big guy, bigger heart. Oh yes. My, my mother built so much credibility for our family name, yeah. just in her own work, in her own solo work, uh, in her own choral conducting work and, and, and uh, other things in, in music in Hawaii. And, and so, you know, that by, by going ahead and making my own way outside of Hawaii, it it awarded me, I feel, an amount of cred uh, credibility back home right? so that I could, you know, I, 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 have, I have friends in the larger music community that I've, I've, I've made along the way that I've had since, since, you know, since I was still in high school. And, and so not that I want to exploit them, but it's just nice to be able to have and continue to maintain those connections in the music community, not just in, cla in, right. in classical music or opera in Hawaii, in Hawaii specifically. And so, so I know that this project has to happen partly because of my reputation and, and the connections I still have with home and so this, if nothing else, was the this opera Kanikapila thing was was definitely a um, a first attempt at that, yeah. even just a little. And I, I mean, as as you can expect, it never been done before, and so there are a lot of variables and what ifs and questions about how to go about it. I mean, when when Taimane Gardner and I. Um, started getting together to to work through the pieces that we had decided upon together 
you know, we would finish and we kind of look at each other and go, how was that? She, is that okay? I feel like we 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 did right by both of the genres or all of the genres that could have been ticked off in this. Um, uh, the opera company was happy. We we were proud of what we'd done. Um, we had a really good time. We we wish that we could have kept the outfits that that uh, we were allowed <laughs> to wear because um, that was that's really expensive stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. I, I mean, you know, there's there's only you can only really bring to it what you know when when you're starting with a blank slate like this, and and so so we you know we we kind of just had to trust that okay we're happy everybody's happy okay good and there it is yeah so. As much as that music is a kind of homecoming to your culture, um, Chicago is also home to you and Lyric Opera Chicago audiences especially have watched you, you know, your career just completely flourish and now you're in demand singing some of the most in-demand Verdi baritone repertoire that there is. And you just completed um, a project with Lyric Opera Chicago for their pandemic pivot, uh, which is Attila, the highlights. (laughs) Um, Can you talk about the experience of making that uh, performance uh, come to life and all the technical challenges and uh, precautions that were uh, put into the staging and um, collaborating with Matthew Polanzani and Tamara Wilson and Christian Van Horn? Go! Well, I wish we could have collaborated, you know, kind of <laughs> ran into each other in the hallway, like, hi, how was it? Yeah, we're in this opera together, by the way. <laughs> you're actually do you're, you're in this, you know, it's like Night at the Roxbury, you know. <laughs> no, I, I mean, we knew what we we're getting into. And we, we knew we, we knew the, the, the possibilities for all the ways it wasn't going to feel normal. Um, I I know I know how how happy my colleagues were to be able to get back to it, quote unquote. And you know, for me and Christian and and Matt, you know, because we because we we were all young artists. Christian and I were young artists together, and and Matt was um, was a few years ahead of us. Um, to be able to get called to to do this special project for our home company in a in a, in a sense um it's very exciting very um fulfilling but um as i've said before classical singers are not used to any sort of recording um environment you know having 
having to, okay, take four. What? I just screamed that high G and you want me to do it again? <laughs> well, but I mean, if, if you think about it, we're used to showing up to a performance and the rehearsal process allowed us to figure out how how to travel through a production from beginning to end or beginning to wherever you die off. <laughs> and that's, and that's your job, you know, or, or that you have a whole act off that you're going to go sit in your dressing room, but then you have to know in that case, exactly how to come back, how to be back on when it's time for you to come back on, how to manage the evening from the minute the curtain goes up to the minute the curtain goes down again and the, and the applause happens. But that's it. I mean, sure, you have to do it every few days, but, you know, uh, in that way, um, recording artists have a one-up on us because they can do the same thing three or four or five times mm -hmm. and then go on and do the rest, whereas... You know, um, I came in to rehearse with the conductor and the pianist the day that Christian was on stage recording and ran into him as he was coming off stage and I was, you know, coming in to go upstairs to start my rehearsal. And he's like, yeah, it's good. You're going to love it. But, oh, man, you know, um, and he didn't say it in front of everybody. He just kind of pulled me on the side and he's like, yeah, I, I was I was burnt when it was over, and I, and, and I I hadn't really thought about it. Oh. Oh yeah, we're we're not gonna sing it once and then and then move on. They're gonna want to do it at least a couple times. And and I was kind of I, I it kind of tripped me up. And he goes, Yeah, and 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 just just trust the earpiece thing. It'll be okay. And I said, Okay, cool, thanks, man. And then and I went up to my rehearsal, but in the back of my mind, I'm going. Oh no. Hmm. You know, because because we 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 budget for for the high G there and for the long, you know, the, the long kind of shouty lines lines in, in that portion of the show. And then maybe you're in Rigoletto and so you have that that whole final scene where you're just you gotta balance um, the physicality with with the, the vocal emotion of it. Um, and that's that's plenty. But, you know, when I do that, I get to the end of the show, I still feel like I could do it all over again, if for some crazy reason I needed to, but something as simple as, okay, can we do it all over again? I mean, it's, it's, it's a totally different animal. And you're not getting the energy from the audience. That too, that too. Um, so it was, it, it was definitely an eye opener to say the least. Um, they took really good care of us, you know, made sure that everything that we were comfortable with everything. How do you feel about that? Do you mind if we, if we go back and do this again? La 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 la. Um, I mean, they, they, they totally understood that we were not used to this kind of, this kind of thing. Um, but I mean, we, we were, we were all so, so happy to have the opportunity um, you know, it was, it was a nice little, little homecoming in its own way. Um, but definitely, definitely 
definitely a, a, a fish out of water type of experience uh, in a way, because you walk and you go, okay, those are the, those are the people that I know who play the piano and, and, you know, you, the, the music starts and you, and you, you recognize it and you kind of get into that zone and then they finish and they pause and you stand there and you go over and you get your water because you had to go make sure it's not in the, in the, the camera the angle. Shot, yeah. mm-hmm. and then make sure you put it back there and then they go, okay, let's do it again. Like, oh, no, no, we, we're planning to do this all along. And I'm going. into this production at Opera Philadelphia. This is, it's going to be an outdoor if I remember correctly. What, uh, yeah, what, what's that process been like to like, I mean, get ready for it, prep the role, think about what the rehearsal process is going to look like. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an adaptation. So they're not actually calling it Tosca because um, they've trimmed it down to about 90 minutes. Yeah. And, and so they, they don't, they don't want people coming in expecting Tosca. So, so we're not, uh, the, the company is not calling it just Tosca. Um, and, and they're doing it basically so that, so that it, it, uh, it discourages people from, from uh, mingling during an intermission. There's going to be no intermission. It's going to be start to finish 90 minutes and then, you know, get out. Um, so some people really like that length of show, by the way, <laughs> I, I, I understand that. And, and not me, but I'm just saying <laughs> there are people out there that really enjoy that, that aspect so they can go to dinner sure. and like, well, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm thanks. Thanks for, for, for making sure that we knew that it's not you, Oliver. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. <clears throat> um, I mean, as, as with any preparation for a brand new role, uh, I've, Personally, I, I feel so much responsibility because I've never done it before. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to make sure that I do it right. I want to make sure that I that I do it right, physically, vocally for myself, so that so that I develop all of the proper good habits that I will use every time after this when I sing this role. I mean, all the work that I did for Rigoletto has allowed me to, to keep going with the next production and the next production 
and not burn myself out. I mean, sure, you have nights where the emotion takes over a little bit more, but all of your whatever physical, vocal, mental mechanisms hopefully come into play and basically keep you in line so that on those evenings where you kind of want to, you know, spend a little bit more gas because you feel uh, specifically about some part of the show, then you can. And, you know, you might feel it a little bit more afterward, but you know that you have that to give. Right. And so, and, and so I need to make sure that I'm, that I'm setting myself up for that with Scarpia mm -hmm. because it's, you know, Rigoletto's like this, Scarpia's like this, but within that time, oh baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to make sure that I do it all right. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to be all kinds of people uh, paying attention to this. And so I, I need to make sure that I, that I give myself a good showing. Yeah. Because I know people are going, okay, he's never done this before. Let's let's see what he can do. Um, the reason it's it's taken this long to do this role is because a lot of people expect expect the the, the singer to to scream and bark a lot. Because yeah. that's well, but but because it's I, I understand it. It there 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 are things about the character that that encourage that, that bring that on. You know, he, he is, he's a slimy bastard yeah. and, and he, he enjoys it. Yeah. You know, he likes the power. Um, he, he's a junkie for the power. And so he, he know, and he knows his strengths for keeping that power. You know, he knows, he knows how to be a, you know, a charming ass with her but he will fly off the handle when he doesn't get his way yeah and i'm not like that i will <laughs> I, I will be a charming ass to the end and i won't fly <laughs> off the handle except except when i'm backed into a corner so that's the one part that me and scarpia don't agree on but this this is what you understand about him that he, you know, he will explode at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. And so, so these aspects of the, of the yelling and the barking, I understand. And I know why people do them, but so I've had, I've really had to bide my time to, to mature my, my body and my voice so that, now, as I'm here, I have, I have so much more experience with which to decide, okay, how much of this barking and stuff uh, is important to me or not. Yeah. You know? and, and so, so I understand, I understand the, the method for why, for why the people I trust didn't want me to do Scarpia until now. And Honestly, I probably could have started it a couple of years ago because, I mean, I've done enough Rigoletto now that it's definitely what I would have, what I would call a precursor to, to, to something with Scottopia. So, um, 
at the same time, you know, this production is, is so unique. It's, it's so one of a kind. And so then, then all of, all of that comes into play too. And you're going, okay, so my first one, I want to make sure this and to make sure this, and, and then in the production and you're going, Ooh, okay. <laughs> like a Franken opera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, we're just going to take some of that, some of that. and Yeah. <laughs> and there you go. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the, the company has been totally sensitive so far with all their communications about how it's all going to go. And, and so I just, I'm not apprehensive at all. I'm just, I'm just cautious because, because of there's easily double the amount of, of responsibility for me right now. Yeah. And, and I have responsibility to myself. I have responsibility to the role. I have a responsibility to this production. I have responsibility as, as a representative of this company for hiring me. Mm -hmm. So, eh, I'm good. So, so there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot. And then, and then, oh my God, we're, we're in a pandemic. So it's, it's. No pressure. None at all. So the um, Opera Philadelphia production of the drama of Tosca uh, starts May 5th for three performances, three 90 minute performances, if you're lucky enough to be in Philadelphia. Uh, then at some point it will go on the Opera Philadelphia channel so we can all watch it. So far, there's no plans yet for Opera Kanikapila and Opera Philadelphia to collaborate. So we have uh, Scorpio with a ukulele, <laughs> but that would be awesome. I so, want Scorpio with a uke. <laughs> just planting that seed. <laughs> Quinn, Kelsey, do you want to now announce your new, I mean, I, I read somewhere that you are now using your uh, Hawaiian name in your artist name as your artist name now have you have you gone are you going forward with that or is that something that i'm imagining well it's 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 just you know it's uh i mean it's 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 my middle name it's it's the middle name that was given to me by by a very esteemed family member uh she was a she was a huge uh orator um she compiled the first hawaiian english dictionary um, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's a huge representative, of course, of, of my, 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 my family history, my, my, my culture. Um, it, it definitely identifies me, but, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not about to, I don't have any plans to just call myself Kamakanalani. <laughs> Um, will you actually, because I'm a radio person and I'm always looking for people saying their own names slowly, will you just say your, your full name so that we can always know it? And when we're here, it's like, yes. Okay. So I'm going to say kiss. it once and y'all need to pay attention. <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> um, Hawaiian language is very, very, it's pretty simple. Um, uh, yeah. Seven. They only use seven consonants. Okay. They use all five vowels. And then sort of an eighth consonant is the glottal stop. And it's, it's, it's uh, characterized by a backwards apostrophe. So you'll see, you'll see the backwards apostrophe before. It'll always be, you know, because it, fu it functions like a, like a consonant. So, um, so whenever you see that, it's, it's, 
that's that's what you do. You do the glottal stop. There are no double consonants. There are no there are no double consonants, and every syllable um, has to obviously have a vowel, right? Okay. Yeah. And you, you, there, there are no, there are no unpronounced anything. If whatever you see, you have to pronounce it in some way. Okay. Um. So, so my middle name, it's okay. So my whole name, Quinn, mm -hmm. Kamakanalani, Kelsey, Kamakanalani, Ka Makanalani, the. Uh, Makana means gift and Lani means heaven. So heavenly gift, gift of heaven. Some you, you can you can you can say it both ways. Okay. Quinn Kamakana Lenny Kelsey. Good man. Okay, good. <laughs> we did it. Opera Kanikapila was kind enough to provide us with our very own promo code. So you can head on over to hotdigital.vhx.tv. Use promo code OPERABOXSCORE, all one word, all caps, which will be good for a 20% discount or $5 off of Opera Kanikapila. Again, that code is OPERABOXSCORE, one word, all caps, and you can redeem that code at hotdigital.vhx.tv. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Though the world's opera stages largely remain conventionally shuttered from COVID-19, or in some cases should be, we're seeing some fantastic pivots in the realms of new media, DIY, and alternative pandemic-resistant venues. A do-it-yourself trovatory chorus, operatic scavenger hunts, flatbed trucks. Ashley Hargrave, what is going on? So many things, my dear George, so many things. We have seen the lion's share of companies delving into things like streaming, either bringing new or very recently recorded or sometimes a long time ago recorded verities to our living rooms. But I would like us to take a moment to talk about some of the things that we've seen and that we think are the more creative takes that artists and companies have gotten into this season. Oliver, let's talk about in-series for a second. Well, they're one of the first companies that really pivoted hard. And I don't know how long ago it was. We interviewed Tim Nelson from InSeries in Washington, D.C., and he was already talking about his digital opera house concept. And now it has become a reality. And you can go to InSeries.org and navigate over to the tab called InVision. And right away, you enter into this space that feels a little bit more like a video game. And you can, uh, you know, move the cursor around and you can see the various different stages and rooms that they have and each sort of page on this somewhat 3D feeling website uh, opens up a whole other, you know, series of performances, lectures, educational material and performances. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, that's out of Washington, D.C. in series. Very cool. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about this, but opera singers over in the UK are doing it for themselves. You could buy yourself a fancy musical friend. Uh, are you guys from, uh, first of all, are you guys <laughs> familiar with the concept of cameo where oh. you can? Yes, I've actually heard of that. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. We Joy. got him. We got him. So the nutshell is that basically for a fee that the artist sets or the celebrity sets, you can get like a personal recorded message from 
a, a varied and sundry number of celebrities. So in the UK, there's a musician booking site that's called Encore. They've taken this inspiration from Cameo uh, and that personalized message for pay thing. So for a fee, you can hire an opera singer, a rock star, a chamber musician, pretty much any <laughs> musician you want to record a personalized piece just for you. That's the height of gig life as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Maximum gig. Matt Cummings, what do you have of your opera innovations this pandemic? So, so if you're looking for like a super fun project and can't and really miss going to the opera house, you can bring opera house to your home with the do it yourself Trovatore chorus from Canadian Opera Company in Toronto. And that would make it a Toronto Trovatore. Uh, they are putting together <laughs> A, uh, a, a an incredible virtual choir that <laughs> their patrons can be able to bring you. the anvil chorus to life. And even though the subscriptions for participating in the chorus and being part of the final video are closed, you can still check out their incredible training materials on their website. Uh, you know, so everything good. from learning the text to learning the notes to meeting the the production staff. Uh, you sh If you're just going to watch one of them, though, you should definitely check out the practice track for making your own recording if for no other reason than to see who has been understudying for those anvils 100 <laughs> it is it is chef's kiss good weston your hot take on this story has a little more movement to it it does um and i uh i'm, I'm still recovering tr from toronto trove but i'll do my best to uh <laughs> to talk about this I'm one mad. of the things uh, that i love about uh texas in general is that not one but two companies uh individually have uh trucks as their pandemic solution and i love that so fort worth is bringing back fort worth opera go to carry its young artists to perform um the the great american songbook on a flatbed stage and then just last week i believe our own uh alma mater praise to them uh is <laughs> dallas opera is is tricking out another flatbed for pop-up performances of family-friendly one-acts for three locations in may all across the dallas area and i the big love D. that it's so good. It's one of those things that just makes them like the, the little toddler in me who played with Hot Wheels while listening to Wagner. Just like oh, it really hits me in a, in a really Wait nostalgic a place. Get that image out of my head. <laughs> Do you think that TDO would trick out a third truck for opera box score when we come for our site visit? I want to drive it. I call I call driving. Driver. Maybe we should do a, a live show at the Texas Rangers Stadium. I uh, there there die. is something brilliant about the the uh, the truck, the opera truck. Here in Chicago at Chicago Fringe Opera, full disclosure, I'm the artistic director there. We wanted to create something that would support local artists and get audiences out of their homes in a safe but meaningful artistic way. And so we are in the pilot season of a event called A City of Works, where we've commissioned nine world premiere operas, about nine different notable landmarks scattered across Chicago's neighborhoods. Uh, audience members go to these landmarks, scan a QR code that's slightly hidden on site, and that gives them access mm. to all these different layers of content from an audio recording of this song, interviews with the artists, uh, a music video that is shot on location, and recommendations for local businesses. So our audience members can be safe, they can support local artists and local businesses in specific communities around town. And That's one so of those cool, QR George. codes opens up 
uh, a home movie of the young Weston Williams playing with trucks and listening to <laughs> Flying That's Dutchman, a, right? That's bonus content. <laughs> and, and one of the QR codes actually summons me driving a truck to the site. <laughs> and I just I just drive past you and wave. Just, just honk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think what's really refreshing, right, as we've seen in this segment, is that we have now moved through those stages of of art therapy and Zoom opera. We've now moved into camera opera. We've found ways to uh, have hybrid experiences of both live music, pre-recorded music, live Mm. camera streams, pre-recorded camera streams. And in a way, this pandemic, while utterly horrid and crippling to many, many people and to this globe, has actually forced this art, hang on a second, has actually forced this art form (laughs) forward. And has forced us as artists to try and think outside the box and, frankly, to start to get rid of all those things in opera that maybe we didn't like anyway. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in opera land this week. This week, middle-class artist details yet another story of body shaming, this time from the Metropolitan Opera towards an eight-year-old child. Former chorister Melanie Spector recounts her experience in an article called Fat Shaming in the Metropolitan Opera children's chorus. She describes how the late chorus master Elena Doria told her that she needed to lose weight to fit into costumes and policed her eating. Read the harrowing tale reported by Zach Finkelstein on middleclassartist.com. Nominees for this year's International Opera Awards include friends of the show Paul Curran, Christine Gerke, Russell Thomas, Benjamin Bernheim, Jakob Josef Berlinski, Theo Hoffman, and Emilke Borat. There are no other nominees for the International Opera Awards except for those people who have been on Opera Box Score. Their ceremony moved online this year will take place May 10th. The Madrid City Council will present the gold medal of the city to Gregorio Marañón y Bertrán de Lis, president of the Teatro Real. This honor comes despite a report of 20 members of the cast and crew of Teatro Real's production of Peter Grimes contracting COVID-19. The Teatro Real denied the report, claiming any positive tests, quote, have been isolated cases caused by personal or familial gatherings. The gold medal of the city will be awarded on May 15th. Pro tip, wear a mask if you're going to attend that ceremony. Soprano Aida Garafulina has become the first opera star to reach 1 million followers on Instagram, thanks in part to her portrayal of Lily Pons in the Florence Foster Jenkins film and singing at FIFA's 2018 World Cup. Sunny morning to everyone she wrote on the gram to celebrate the milestone. I'm giving you all a huge hug and wish you the most beautiful day. Okay, boomer. A new biography about Maria Callas uses previously unpublished letters that describe the famed soprano's abuse at the hands of her mother, her husband, and her lover, Aristotle Onassis. Commas between each one of those. Commas Author Lindsay Spence said, quote, I was given access to three enormous collections, which were bequeathed to various archives in 2019 and, until now, had never been published. Among the papers were Callas's letters revealing her innermost thoughts. The biography, entitled Cast a Diva, the Hidden Life of Maria Callas, hits the shelves in June. For the podcast, we all rolled our eyes so hard at that pun title. (laughs) In trade news, Gustavo Dudamel has been named Paris Opera's next music director. Largely known for his interpretations of symphonic work, Dudamel's stature and charisma would certainly seem to make him an asset to any opera company. 
Opera has played a seminal role in my life, said Dudamel. I couldn't be more overjoyed to have found in Paris my spiritual home for opera. English Touring Opera has appointed Jerry Cornelius as the company's new music director. Cornelius, who is of Irish and Sri Lankan descent, receives his new role as the company establishes a new music advisory panel to ensure, quote, a diverse range of musical influences and opinions to guide decision making. This week's yellow cards. Scotland. The Edinburgh International Festival has announced a reimagined season for 2021 that will use outdoor venues across the city from August 7th to August 29th. The full program will be unveiled in June. UK. The Royal Opera House has announced a spring and summer schedule that will include both streamed and in-person performances beginning May 17th. USA. Opera Carolina is back in business, announcing a live season that begins this fall, along with a continuation of its virtual offerings for those not yet ready to return to a theater. This week's Red Cards. Poland. Polish National Opera has announced that it will remain closed until at least April 25th. However, the company will record Hindemith's Cardiac without an audience and will broadcast it via its streaming platform, which Weston and the rest of Hindemith Hive are probably very excited about. I am the queen of the Hindemith Hive. On the disabled list, conductor Alan Gilbert was admitted to the hospital last week for COVID-19. In a statement, Gilbert said he was, quote, responding well to treatment and thanked his followers for their concern. We wish him a speedy recovery. Excess stage right, soprano Mary Ellen Procht has died at the age of 87. The Ohio-born singer made her Met debut during the 1962 season and went on to sing 35 roles with the company. And on this day, April 19th, in 1774, it was the first performance of Gluck's Iphigenie en Ulite at the Palais Royal Opera in Paris. 1836 brought us the birthday of American industrialist and music patron Augustus D. Juilliard at sea, as his parents were returning from Burgundy to the United States. I can't imagine having a baby on a boat. My God. 1908, happy birthday to German conductor Josef Keilbert in Karlsruhe. He died in 1968 of too much Tristan. Ask Matt Cummings about that. 1924 brought us the birthday of Austrian mezzo-soprano Hertha Tepper in Graz. 1930 was the first performance of Franco Alfano's L'Ultimo Lord in Naples. In 1938, it was the birth of American tenor Kenneth Regal. And finally, in 1975, it was the first First performance of Jean-Philippe Rameau's unfinished, unfinished opera, and unspoken by Hardgrave, apparently Les Boreades in London. And that's your two-minute drill. That was soprano Barbara Bonney performing Alphise's monologue Un Horizon Serein from Rameau's Les Boreades. Uh, that was from the 2003 revival uh, that took place in Paris, conducted by William Christie and with the orchestra of Les Arts Florissants. 
And uh, Joseph Kylebert uh, died as Weston Williams is probably going to at some point uh, in the middle of conducting Tristan and Isolde. Ah, yes. oh, the dream. What a way to go. Am I right? <laughs> I'll be there. Uh, so Weston. Uh, Dudamel goes to Paris. This move seems to make a lot of sense. Does it make sense to you or does it seem strange? I think so. I think it's uh, it's very much reflective of, I think, what uh, Paris uh, is trying to do. I mean, first and foremost, you know, um, uh, he's he's from South America. It's a different perspective than your run of the mill European. Um, and he certainly has a lot of charisma, a large following, particularly in the U.S. Um, and I think he has very interesting uh, takes on all the works I've heard from him. Uh, in that regard, I will say, um, and uh, this is pointed out in a New York Times article, um, that Dudamel is not really an opera composer. He's only uh, conductor. He, composer, conductor, excuse me. Definitely uh, he's definitely not, not an opera, opera composer. composer. Uh, he, he, he's only conducted one opera in Paris, and it was La Boheme, which is the most, you know, sort of milk toast selection you can have. Deceptively difficult to conduct, though. True, true. true. That's and fair. to direct. Act two of that opera is perhaps the most <laughs> difficult thing in the repertoire. It's actually harder to compose it, so it's a good it's thing. It's true, but... But, but I feel like his, yeah. his, his run, particularly at L.A., uh, Phil is, is very much... He, he likes to pick a lot of more unusual repertoire, a little bit more um, out there, at least for what the the uh, LA would expect. Um, and I would love to see him bring that uh, energy to Paris. Um, more importantly, he's going to be bringing those luscious locks um, to an opera company, which means that Ashley Hardgrave will have more excuse to talk about him. Oh, my flight's exciting. already booked. I'm going to be in Paris in four hours. I'm ready. His, his locks are longer than Ashley's, I think. This, That's true. This, point, he's got this, the... this is why when we date, we'll share her products. It'll be <laughs> That's just good financial planning, is what Absolutely. That is. We're just trying to save money and the art form. I don't see why that's a big deal. Uh, Finkelstein does it again with another article on middleclassartist.com. The link's going to be on our website, operaboxscore.com. Let me just say there, so having been in a children's operatic chorus myself and having gotten my start in opera drink, playing drink, one drink, of drink, the... Drink, 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 so drink, many times. Um, is that, let me, let me just say this, you know... When I was sort of eight or ten, I was a little, I was a little chubby. I admit that. Um, no shame in it. And if, if my parents, but you haven't gained weight since you were ten years old. It's <laughs> yeah, true. If my parents had been told by the opera chorus master that I needed to lose weight, my parents would have thrown a fit, and then they would have given me porridge for the next two weeks. Oh God. My mom would have high fived the conductor. It's like, yes. Oh, right. no. <laughs> it's just, I, oh, God, what, what can we say about this that hasn't already been said? It just, I hope everybody that continues to work on these stories, I hope everybody that continues to publish and report these stories, I hope people that are continuing to share their stories and are even reading these stories are guarding their hearts and protecting themselves and being kind to themselves as we have these really difficult conversations. We may crack jokes hither and yon as we just did, but there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot mm -hmm. of damage that's happening here. And none of us, if we've had even an adjacent experience, are immune to some of that hurt. So I we're going to keep reporting on them because it's important to talk about, but be careful with yourself and be kind to yourself. And if you need to not read for a minute or if you need to not listen even to us, Put it down. Take care of yourself. 
And it's really been frustrating because the the response in general from the powers that be are just like, well, suck it up. Too bad. And yeah, they hate us because they ain't us sort of it's a thing. O- yeah. It's only going to make this problem worse as more and more people continue to be held to these unhealthy demands, frankly, from the art right. I am encouraged, though, because there have been like it's been like a weekly update ever since the first initial article, because there have been so many people stepping forward and telling their stories. Uh, And of course, this one's particularly egregious because it was to a literal actual child for no reason. Um, And she's still, you know, now many, many years later, still has issues associated with weight and uh, watching what she eats. And it should be pointed out, too, we quoted uh, the article um, saying that the reason given for the for the body shaming was that she wouldn't fit into the costume. Uh, Zach Finkelstein got in t- touch with the um, costume director and said that has, has never been an issue. The job of the costume is to fit around the person, not the other way around. Um, and it's just it, it it's it's one of those things where uh, I I feel like it it would be remiss to not point out that sometimes advice like this can be couched behind a veil of oh i was just concerned about this or i wanted to be concerned about your health or the costumes won't fit it, or something it usually like this. is even yeah couched it's, it's behind always some kind of concern trolling yeah exactly and this is why we need to uh make sure that we call it out for what it is when we see it uh and obviously this is not gonna be an issue for this particular person anymore because she's been dead for five years or or whenever but this is still an issue and the met still has not released a statement about it and as we said despite all these stories coming out the big institutions haven't made any responses yet agreed i feel like you know that is precisely why we need to keep having these conversations and have people keep sharing their stories because each one of those moments of vulnerability and the sharing of that pain is a is a data point uh to sort of further prove these theories and one would hope that there can be a data driven solution to this problem, mm-hmm. very much unlike the data we have at Teatro Real and all of their cases and how oh it is God. not anybody's fault over there. I love that he just threw all of those people right under the bus. It's just, he's like, it's not my house. It's personal and familial gatherings. Give me the gold medal to the city. You know what I say about that? That sounds about as realistic as most of the Maria Callas biopics that are out <laughs> on the market. So yeah! let's hope that cast a diva <laughs> can turn that trend around. I hate it. I hate it. Throw it away. That's the worst <laughs> name. I hate it. Uh, it's been a, a, a bad two weeks of puns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you go away for one week, Ashley, and they just all come rushing back. This is what I come back to. I, I leave you guys for one week. <laughs> That's your so, punishment. No. So oh, no. You can, you can read about the uh, newest, uh, I don't know how many Collis biographies are out there, but um, there's, you know, supposedly these letters that came out and who knows what's true and what's not. At any rate, um, I don't know how Aida Garifolina is the most followed opera singer. That seems a little bit off to me. Take no that shade. on a Trebko. No shade, <laughs> you know. But uh, I mean, it's a good thing that it's not Anna Trebko. Yeah, it probably yeah. helps that she's not a COVID denier. Yeah, oh boy, we hope. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I mean, I will say that, you know, I'm honestly, the way to go, be in a major motion picture with Meryl Streep and sing at the World Cup. That's what you got to do, you know? Yeah. That's and and this plan. is, you know, I think it's great because, you know, we we theme ourselves around opera and sports. And there really is a crossover there. That same fan culture, that same yeah. seeing someone out there. And, you know, that that's that's your way into the art form, you know? Well, based on our proprietary, uh, our our ownership of the... um 
Opera Dark Horse's tourney, shouldn't we have a bigger <laughs> Instagram following? Uh, well, I, I, uh, could, once, I could blame once, our Instagram. Uh, once I go media sing manager. at the, uh, it's, it's the not World the Instagram's Cup, fault. It's the personal and familial gatherings. That's why we don't have enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we don't have enough followers. <laughs> All right, let us wrap this show up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call to take you home wherever you're going or to wake you up wherever you are. Oliver Camacho. Well, Ashley and I had the same good call, so I will let the ladies go. Thank you. This ladies will go. Yes. So later (laughs) this month, We're Yellow Proudly Initiative is going to present a hashtag Stop Asian Hate Benefit concert. uh, Stage directed by Matthew Ozawa. He's going to host with this lineup that includes Kelly Kuo, Justine F. Chen, Andrew Stenson, friend of the show, Myra Wong, Tanner Nicholas Vaughn. Where Yellow Proudly is an initiative of Oral Compass Projects that aims to uplift Asian voices and raise funds for the Asian American Federation. Again, it is going to be Tuesday, April 27th, 7 p.m. Eastern. It's going to hit. Matt Cummings. Yeah, so piggybacking off our segment earlier about innovations in opera and also returning to a two-minute drill item from last week, don't forget to check out Flight from Seattle Opera filmed in the the Air and Space Museum. That goes live this Friday, April 23rd, and you can find it at seattleopera.org. Weston Williams. Uh, a, a a media personality. I believe he's a, a beatboxer and a musician. Uh, he's on YouTube. Uh, Chris Ott has created just a delightful little uh, section of the Rite of Spring core, uh, scored entirely with a toy orchestra that includes little... little, um, little little speakers that sound like trumpets and little scary Dobby looking doll, which makes noises that are very unsettling and uh, onomatones, which are just a good time. And if you've wanted, if you've been wanting to sort of recontextualize Rite of Spring, as I do every couple of months, this is the one for you. Uh, Prince Philip's funeral was uh, the weekend before the taping of this show. Psalm 104 was one of the musical selections for that. And that was absolutely stunning. What a great piece of music and how bizarre to see a relatively empty St. George's Chapel in Windsor. We're just, uh, uh, what, two, three years ago it was filled to the brim for Harry and Meghan's wedding. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Opera Box Score. Help us deepen that bench of listeners by liking and sharing our social media posts. Email us your hot takes at operaboxscore@gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher. Just favorite the show on Apple Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed on Opera Box Score are solely those of the show's creative team. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of the accounts of this show without the express written consent of Opera Box Score is fine by me. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho, our audio and video editors, Weston Williams, for your co-hosts, Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera on your flatbed truck. We're back with an all-new show next week. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more queens of the Hindemith Hive. Join us.